Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Well, we're going to pick back up in Acts today, Acts chapter 27. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, this is an exciting chapter for us, and I say that every week. I always look forward to what we're going to get from the Word, and specifically here, these last few chapters in the book of Acts are just so exciting. It's like Luke, the Apostle Luke, who penned this book. He's inspired by the Spirit, but the way in which he describes the events that are going on just get more and more exciting, and I can just see these events playing out in my own mind. And if you recall from last time, Paul had just presented his testimony to King Agrippa. He had shared Christ with King Agrippa, and moved by the message some though he fell short of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, saying in Acts 26, 28, King Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. I mean, Paul was so bold, he was not reserved in his approach, though he was there before a king and all the king's men, if you will, and he just with boldness declared Jesus Christ, and he desired, he said, I desire that all would follow Jesus. He wanted so badly to see people transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that he didn't care what would happen to him. He didn't care about the fact that he was standing before a king here and that maybe he should be reserved in the way in which he addressed him. No, he boldly proclaimed Christ, and it was a wonderful thing. And even though he was imprisoned, chained to a guard, though even King Agrippa suggested that he would likely had been set free, that he had done nothing wrong, that had he not appealed to Caesar, he probably would have been let go. Paul wasn't bitter over his circumstances. He wasn't fearing for his life. What we see him do is faithfully fulfill his calling. Paul is overjoyed, in fact, that he's getting the opportunity to share Christ before Gentiles, Jews, governors, and kings. And, by the way, with little apparent success, right? I mean, people continued to reject the gospel as he presented it, yet that didn't cause him. I mean, there were times when he was a little frustrated. There was a time after presenting to the Sanhedrin that he was discouraged, and the Lord manifested himself to him and said, be of good cheer. But even though he didn't see great success from this portion of the ministry, he was committed to it, knowing what the Lord had called him to, that he was called to be obedient. And we must remember the same thing, that we too are called to be obedient. And while, yes, We want to see people accept Christ when we share our faith. That work is not in our hands. That's not up to us. We're just called to be faithful in sharing it, to tell others of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Paul is sold out for Christ. And as we catch back up with him today in chapter 27, we'll see that he's now preparing to travel to Rome, a place that the Lord had told him that he would go, a place that he wanted to see. And as he traveled there, he no doubt was considering all that God would do, all the opportunities that he would give him. I'm sure that at this point, Paul's beginning to just work through his mind, Lord, what are you going to do next? There was an excitement on his part for the journey that they were on and where they were going. And so as we pick back up with him in Acts 27, if you would just agree with me in prayer again this morning, Father, we pause here again, and as we turn to your word, Lord, we give you thanks for it. We ask, Lord, that you'd work in our hearts and minds here this morning through your Spirit. Teach us here today. Give us an understanding of your word, and through that, Lord, transform us, that as we leave here today, we'd be different, Lord, more in love with you, more surrendered to you, more clarity, Lord, around your plan and your purpose in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning individually and corporately. Do a mighty work here, Lord, I pray. 
And as we prepare this morning for communion as well, prepare our hearts for that, Lord, I ask. So, Father, we love you and praise you. And we give you thanks for this day that you've given us, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick up in Acts 27 here in verse 1, and it says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So, entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly, and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Now, while these verses here are not the crux of our message here today, I do want us to notice something here. The first of which is that Luke is now with Paul again. Notice the words, we, in verse 1, and that continues throughout this account. Luke has chosen to stay with Paul and travel along with him, along with Others, Aristarchus is mentioned, and, and other prisoners for that matter. There are some prisoners that are with them. Some of them may very well be guilty men that are being sent to Rome to go into the Colosseum and be killed. This has got to be an interesting group of people that are traveling together. And here, again, Luke is with him, and there's other sailors and whatnot that are there. And, and we read here at this first stop that Paul is given liberty to see some friends and to receive care. Now, because of Paul's character, because of how he had handled himself, because of his perceived innocence, I mean, a lot of different things, Paul was regularly given liberties throughout his imprisonment, and this time was no different. But I think beyond that, it's important to note here that the Apostle Paul, though he's a spiritual giant when it comes to faithfully preaching the gospel, and though we see him with such contentment remain in chains for the sake of the gospel, Paul also placed a great deal of importance on friendship. Paul loved to be with other people. In his letters written to churches that he had planted, he specifically addressed those who were dear to his heart, who had impacted his life. I recently read an article that said this of Paul, In our gospel-centered movement, we should emphasize Paul's pattern of preaching the grace of Christ, but we should also highlight his deep commitment to friendship. The author of that article would go on to highlight three benefits of friendship, and those were companionship, comfort, and joy, all of which can be experienced within that bond of friendship, within that relationship. And Paul spoke of all three of these benefits throughout his letters, and even here on his journey to Rome, he knew these well as he had Luke by his side. And I think it's just important to mention this because, you know, we may have in our minds this idea of Paul being imprisoned and being sent to Rome and that being, you know, a very lonely place for him, but wow, you know, Paul's pretty impressive that even in the midst of that loneliness, he can just depend on the Lord. And that's absolutely true. But sometimes we look past the fact that there were those who chose to be with Paul during this time. I mean, that's a bond. That's a real friendship for Luke to say, hey, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to board this ship with you and these other prisoners and whatnot. We're going to make our way to Rome together. Folks, the Christian walk is not a call to be alone. And yes, depending sometimes on our circumstances, there may be times when we are without many friends or friendship. We go through seasons like that. Maybe a move has prompted that. There can be a lot of different things, but that's not the design for it. We should value friendship and all that comes along with it. We should work at that. We're called to be together to fellowship as believers. And it's a unique aspect of the Apostle Paul's ministry that's often overlooked, his commitment to that. And we'll see how that sort of grows and how he even develops more friends on this journey. And in verse 4, when we had put to sea, 
From there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So the centurion had a responsibility to get them to Rome, and often like our own travel, say, for example, on an airplane, we sometimes have a connection that we need to take. And so here that same thing is happening, that the first ship they were on wasn't going to get them all the way to Rome, and here the centurion finds a ship that's coming from Egypt, and it's going to make its way to Italy. And on board this ship is Egyptian grain that they are taking across the ocean there. The ship that they boarded here would have 276 men in total on it. So this isn't a small boat, and I don't know what some of you may have already been picturing in your mind. Maybe you're thinking of a little sort of uh, little sailboat that maybe the disciples would have taken out on the Sea of Galilee. This is a much larger boat, a ship almost, for it to be able to handle and hold as much grain as was on it and 276 men. And this type of ship used to carry large loads to different ports, while it could carry a lot of weight, it was not very agile on the sea and it couldn't sail well into the wind. And so you're going to, and we've already heard of just some of the challenges that they were intending to sail in particular areas if they had to sail closer to shore under the shelter of islands. And this is going to continue. It is not going to be an easy journey. And so we read in verse 7, when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off of Sinaitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lassia. So here now they've arrived after much difficulty. I mean, they're struggling. It's taking a long time for this ship to move through the waters. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with boats or sailing or spending time out on the water. Some of you maybe have great sea legs, others not so much. If we were to plan a church trip, maybe say down to Charleston and charter a little fishing boat for a day, I'm curious who would show up. And while we're out there, who might lose a little bit overboard, right? And when you're out on the water and it starts to toss and turn, even some of the most seasoned of folks can get sick pretty quickly. And so you can start to imagine what it's like to be all these people piled onto this ship through very difficult circumstances, moving slowly. This was not carnival, okay? This wasn't your all-you-can-eat buffet and sit by the pool while we just sort of cruise down to the Caribbean. These were difficult circumstances. And now here, they come to a place called Fair Havens. The wind had been a major obstacle, and they arrive in this port city that's somewhat of a no-name place. And from my perspective, it sounds kind of like a city from a Nicholas Sparks novel, Fair Havens, right? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you don't want to admit it, right? I know you're out there. Yeah, you've read the novel, you've watched the movies, okay? And so here they're in fair havens. And they need to determine at this point how they're going to proceed, if they can proceed at all due to the difficulty of the weather and the sailing conditions. Now, here's the deal. At this point, as we start to read further on into Luke's account here, if we here at Calvary Chapel had a flair for the dramatic, I'd have on right now a yellow rain slicker and a hat maybe a beard for the day with a pipe, and I'd start to talk a little bit like a sailor or a pirate through this next account. Because if you're anything like me and you start to just sort of make this thing come alive in your mind, you're going to imagine this tempest that they're about to go into. And Luke's going to describe with great detail all that they're doing in the ship and what's happening and how the waves are crashing against them. 
I mean, it's a pretty incredible account. And where it comes to a head in terms of the faithfulness of God, it's just such an incredible story for us. And I pray that you'd receive it today, that you'd hear what the Lord has for us here. This is one of the best narrative efforts that we have from the Apostle Luke throughout the book of Acts. It's like he's just gotten better and better and better. And of course, under the inspiration of the Spirit, but I mean, it's just so cool to see how he describes this story as they begin to face great peril out on the seas. And so we read in verse 9, now when much time had been spent, so a lot of time had passed here in Fair Havens, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So they had stayed in Fair Havens for some time, contemplating how they were going to proceed. Maybe waiting a little bit too on the weather to ease up. Sailing would have been dangerous in this entire area starting in October. It's pretty much from October through the latter part of winter, that they wouldn't have done much sailing. The conditions were just too treacherous. And we know because of what we've read that winter was in fact coming. Furthermore, we assume or we know it's into October now because Luke mentions the fast was over. And so that probably related to the celebration of the Day of Atonement and the associated fast. And so it gives us a little bit of an understanding of what time of year it was. And so Paul gives these men a warning. Now, Paul doesn't state here that he received this warning from the Lord, so perhaps this is a word of knowledge or of prophecy, or perhaps this is just based on Paul's own wisdom, as he was one who had traveled great distances. He'd traveled a lot. He was probably a smart enough individual to go, listen, it's into the fall now. It's almost winter. We know that sailing conditions are poor. I've got to check in my spirit about this. We shouldn't go on. And I think it was more that piece here, that because he mentions the fact that he's concerned that all life will be lost, I think there is something about the Lord speaking to him and giving him a word of knowledge here. That, Listen, I don't think we're supposed to go do this. But Phoenix was only about 40 miles away. So it wasn't as if these sailors were thinking, hey, we're going to go a great distance and really just test our luck. They thought it was a very doable trip. So the centurion and the helmsman, they all reason together and they decide to proceed. And so it's not that odd that they discount Paul's opinion, him being a preacher and a prisoner, you know, looking at him thinking he's a seasoned sailor. They're going to go with their own intuition and their own plan. Further, there's a great cost for them not making their way on their journey here. Were they to stay in this small town, the port wasn't very sufficient for wintering there, as it said, and they had valuable cargo on board, so they decided to move on. And, you know, as we start to look at this now, we can, we can recognize that such is the case often in our own lives when we reason through things, often failing to yield to the Holy Spirit. Or maybe, you know, we're a part of something because we work and we are sometimes amongst other non-believers. And, you know, there may be times where other unbelievers, you know, are planning to do something, say it's in the workplace, and you have an uneasiness about it, but they don't heed your warning. You're trying to share with them wisdom, but they're not receiving it. And so you're forced to be in a situation where you're just sort of like, I don't know if this is what we're supposed to do, but you just kind of move on. 
But as we'll see that even in those times, the Lord does not abandon Paul, and he doesn't abandon even the rest of the men, for that matter. And Paul will, through this, have a great opportunity to share Christ with them. So in verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. So the weather had lightened up a bit, and they thought, hey, this is great. This is our perfect opportunity to move on towards Phoenix. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. You see, they were in a very difficult circumstance. They were in the midst of a storm, a terrible storm. And you know when they name a storm that it's bad. They had a name for this one. It was called the Euroclidon. They would have been familiar with these types of storms during this time of year. And there's nothing that they can do at this point other than to lighten the load and to let the wind carry the ship because fighting against it, fighting against the wind, was futile for them. It would only likely result in shipwreck. They had to essentially throw things overboard to try and lighten the load a little bit. Luke says, we threw the tackle overboard with our own hands. What he's saying is, it's not that the wind took it off. It's not that the ocean swept it away. We actually took it. We threw it overboard to lighten the load. And we just let that ship go where the wind would take it. Because it was so heavy, it sat down in the water. It couldn't go against the waves. It had to just let the thing drive. And finally, we read that after three days of being tossed about, I mean, you know, to the earlier example of going out on a fishing trip for a few hours. I mean, if it's rough out there, we think three hours feels like three days. And here it's been three days that they're being tossed about. No way to sail the ship. And they began to give up hope. And it seems here the implication is that Luke includes himself in that, if not Paul also. So though we celebrate, and this isn't me discounting Paul's faith, but it seems as if all of them are getting to a place where they're wondering what's going to happen to us, where those who know Christ may be saying, maybe this was God's plan. Then Maybe Paul at this point is starting to wonder, boy, I really felt that I heard from the Lord that we were going to go to Rome, but I don't know. This isn't looking good. What's going to happen? We don't know everything that was going on within that ship or what they were thinking in their own minds, other than Luke saying, we were giving up hope. Now, some may think it a little too cliche that I draw the comparison this morning between this physical storm and the storms in our own life, but how can I not? The comparison's too easy. While, yes, there was this physical storm, for Paul, the principles of our walk of faith are so clear. Listen, we are going to face storms. You are going to face storms. There are going to be difficulties in this life, but we can never lose hope. We can never stop trusting in the Lord. And praise God that He cares enough for us that when we are in these circumstances, that if we listen and we seek Him, He meets us right where we are and encourages us. And He does so with Paul. They're at a place where they're thinking, certainly, they mentioned the Sirtis Sands. I mean, those are well-known shipwreck areas north of the coast of Africa. 
that they're thinking at this point, we've been so tossed to and fro, we're likely about to hit these things and we're going to break up and we're all going to perish in the sea. And it says in verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them. Okay, so they haven't eaten. It's been many days. And he says, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. <laughs> I love Paul. You see, while Paul certainly valued friendship, clearly he hadn't yet attended the seminar on making friends and winning people to Jesus. Because roughly translated, he says to them here, I told you so. We all love to hear that, don't we? I can only imagine the looks of the men on the ship at this point. And while certainly a liberty, I can just hear a sailor with a gruff voice yelling from the bow of the ship, Shut it, Paul! I don't want to hear it! Now's not the time! They're thinking, we get it! You're right! Paul had this way about him. I think this is actually a key element of what made Paul such a great friend. said he told the truth. He didn't mince words. He was straightforward and willing to say what needed to be said, but not just the truth. He also followed it up with grace, and we see that in his next comment as he says to them in verse 22, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, this is a bold statement on the part of Paul that he could declare to them in the midst of this storm that don't worry, take heart, you're going to survive. Paul boldly proclaims that there will be no loss of life. He tells them, take heart. And likely, in light of the fact that he had rightly predicted their current situation, that maybe now they were a bit more inclined to listen to him. But no, this is still a concerning situation. This is almost a good news, bad news type situation, as he says, hey, take heart. The good news is you're all going to survive. The bad news is this ship's going down, right? I mean, imagine that. We don't travel on ship as much. Maybe it's more so air, right? This is your captain speaking. We're going down. Don't worry. Everybody's going to be okay. But this plane is going to be destroyed. I mean, you might take a little encouragement in that, but also think, well, at the very least, this is going to hurt. It is not going to feel good. And I don't know what's going to happen after that, right? Yeah, he gets it. So here they're probably wrestling with, what does Paul mean? I mean the ship is going to be utterly destroyed? They're still not totally at ease at this point. But such is our walk of faith, is it not? That if understood properly, we must recognize that God has made me. He has me in his hand. He's going to take care of me. But that doesn't mean there won't be some tumultuous times. That doesn't mean there won't be some pain along the way. When everything around us seems lost, we must take heart and trust. Lord, you're going to bring me through this, but it doesn't make all of the circumstances just go away. And so for them, they must be thinking, hey, Paul, how do you know this? How can you declare this with such confidence? And he says to them in verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. 
So he continues to encourage them and let them know here's what's going to happen. And we see here that an angel of God comes to Paul and brings him much-needed encouragement, reminds him of God's plan for his life. And so God, through his Spirit and his Word, does the same thing in our lives, encouraging us and reminding us that we are his. And even of the plan that he has for our lives, some of you have had an experience where the Lord has made it clear to you what you are to do, where you are to go. Granted, there's many of us that haven't experienced some things the way that Paul has, but at the same time, the Spirit has confirmed many things in our lives, convicted us of things, made it very clear where we were to go, what we were to do. And when God does that, we can trust that. But notice here that Paul says, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And that's a key distinction. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, that if you want to lay claim to the promises of the Word of God, then you must also recognize God's claim on you. And if you're not, and you're resisting that, and you're rejecting that, then you don't get to say, well, here, this is how it's going to work out in my life. Paul belonged to God. He actively served God. Because of that, he could be confident that God was taking care of him. And the same needs to be true in our own lives. And it seems that Paul here was also encouraged by the angel who said that God has granted to you, Paul, all those whom you are sailing with. And what this tells me here is that Paul was praying for those who he was with as well. And he was saying, Lord, what's going to happen to us here? What about all these others? I don't want them to perish. As the angel says, God's granted them all to you. And that's another important thing to note here, again, is that maybe you're in a storm not entirely of your own making. Maybe you're the lone believer in the mix of the situation. And is your attitude sort of, hey, my God's going to get me out of here, but all the rest of you, good luck, right? That could be our approach with things in the world, with the world itself. But Paul didn't have that attitude. He was concerned about those whom he was with. And the reality is that, that, you know, that may be the truth, eternally speaking, but like Paul, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing about it? Are we seeking God on behalf of those who are lost, who will likely perish? Having confidence of our own salvation and saying, yeah, Lord, I know you're going to spare me. I know you're going to save me. But what about all of them, Lord? Give me the boldness to speak to them. Give me the opportunity to share. Give me the chance to proclaim Christ to them, that I could see them saved as well. So Paul says, take heart, men. We're going to be okay but this ship is going to run aground, so get ready. Similarly, folks, you know, when we receive Jesus Christ, we can trust and know that it's going to be okay. But this ship that we're in, it's going to run aground. And it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be storms. We can have confidence that the Lord's going to bring us through it, but are we proclaiming to others as well what they need to know, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so here we see in verse 27, Luke As he writes, now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They would have heard it, the water breaking. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. The fourteenth night? I mean, this has to be horrendous now, what they're dealing with. And they feared. They feared that they were about to wreck. 
They were continually in the midst of this storm. And even though encouragement had come from Paul, it was going on and on and on. And they thought, what are we going to do? So they drop anchors out to keep them from sailing right into the rocks. And they go to put the skiff out of the sort of a lifeboat or dinghy of sorts, a smaller boat that they had earlier secured onto the boat. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you want to be saved, you've got to stay right here. Christian, this is fantastic. You know, the picture that we get here, life gets really hard sometimes. And because of that, we may want to drop anchor and jump out of the boat, right? We may want to set out that life raft and say, I'm out of here. I'm going. I know what you've said, Paul. I know the promises that you've made, but I don't know. This is getting too intense. I'm getting out of here. But we must stay in the boat. There's no turning back. We need to count the cost. When you come to Jesus Christ, and this is so much of the problem today is the gospel is presented that so often it's not a full gospel, it's not the God of the Bible, and too often people are drawn to receive Christ on an emotional high, and they're not given the opportunity to count the cost. Because there is a cost to it. There's absolutely a cost. I was just talking with a pastor who got back from a mission down in South America and the particular area they're in, and it's interesting because it's so heavily influenced with Catholicism there, so you would think the church might be receptive, but the reality is they had not been teaching the truth, and as missionaries go into that area and share with them the full gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and men in particular who they go to minister to begin to receive Jesus Christ, they know when they make that decision, they realize and know that for many of them, they're going to lose their jobs, for many of them, their wives are going to leave them. There is a cost associated with it that when they are making that decision, they know, listen, I have to be willing to give some things up. But they have an understanding, a proper understanding, that the things that they may lose are the things that are temporary and only part of this world. So we must say, I trust God. I'm going to follow Him. And then what do we see them do? They cut the lines to the skiff and they let it go. There was no greater way at this moment for these men to show their commitment than to cut the lines to the skiff, the lifeboat that they were going to get in and to say, okay, I'm letting it go. That was their last lifeline. They were in it. They were committed. And the question that it absolutely has to prompt within us is, have we cut those lines to our last perceived lifeboat on this earth? Have you completely committed your life to Christ? That in the midst of the storm, you've said, okay, I'm trusting, I'm in, I'm following him. There's no turning back. I'm not going to question any longer what it is that God's doing. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to say, Lord, I'm following after you. Because it's easy for us when things are going okay, again, when we've received Christ perhaps off of this sort of feel-good message that maybe we're going through a little something, and somebody said, hey, you know, there's this God-shaped hole inside your heart, and, and only He can fill it. And man, if you receive Jesus Christ, you're just going to be filled with joy, and it's going to be wonderful. Things are going to be fantastic. Maybe they've even gone so far down the prosperity aisle that they've just said, listen, and when you come to Him, He's going to meet every need exceedingly abundantly. You've been struggling with finances, man, you're going to have more money. You've been struggling with that car. Oh, you're going to have a better car. Oh, your house has been an issue. Oh, man, you're going to have a better house. Wait till you see what God can do for you. And I apologize this morning if it seems like I'm mocking that, but I am. And not just mocking it, but I get angry at that. Because what happens to that person when they receive Christ under such pretenses, and then all of a sudden they find themselves in the midst of the storm, and they say, what in the world is going on here? This wasn't in the brochure. 
They told me that when I received Jesus Christ, I was going to have more money. I was going to have a great job. I was going to have a car. I was going to have this, that, that, that. None of those things are happening. I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ anymore. But in the midst of the storm, as they had a proper understanding of what God had done for them, a biblical understanding of the full gospel, that's when we can make a commitment and know that no matter what comes our way, we're going to stay focused on Him. In verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day that you've waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. This is a word of faith, the gift of faith, if nothing else, on the part of Paul here that he said, this is what an angel from the Lord told me, and I'm going to believe it and declare it to you. You're all going to be fine, not a hair is going to be hurt. And when he had said these things in verse 35, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And when they were all encouraged and also took food themselves, and in all we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Here was an important thing for them to understand that as he said that therefore I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. They had to believe it. They had to believe that in that moment. They had to commit to it. And so we also have to believe. We have to believe and to trust in the promises of God and say, yes, Lord, I believe it. There are many people in this world who believe in God, that he exists, that he's out there, but they fall short of following him and serving him and receiving Jesus Christ into their lives. And then what does he do here? But he takes bread and he gives thanks to God in the presence of them all. He breaks and he eats it. My goodness, does this sound familiar? We don't know exactly what was happening here. We don't know exactly what Paul said here. Was he actually performing communion for them? For maybe for the Christians who were on the boat? Maybe. I have to think, and I don't think it's too much of a liberty for me to say that Paul absolutely seized this opportunity. And whether or not it was actually communion, you better believe he talked about what he was doing. As he prayed, as he blessed the bread, you better believe that he was taking the opportunity for 275 people to say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. As we are here and you think we're about to perish in this boat, let me tell you, God is going to take care of you. He's going to bring you through this. Let me tell you what he's done for you. And here it was that Paul had the open door to preach again. It's incredible. And so as they took the bread and they ate it, then what did they do? They threw the rest of the stuff off. That was their final step, their final way of saying, okay, absolute surrender, reckless abandon, total disregard for my own well-being in terms of what I perceive, what I see. I'm going to trust in God. We're just going to go. We're going to hunker down together, and we're going to let God work. And we have the opportunity now ourselves to take communion together. And as we do so today, I want to challenge each and every one of you, like the men on this ship, as we break bread and eat it, as we remember His body and blood. And today we've got an opportunity in light of where the Holy Spirit had us in the Scripture here to to maybe evaluate in our own lives too. Have I cut the lines? As I'm in the midst of the storm, am I looking for every opportunity to try and just get out of the ship, to find my way to safety? Are there things in the world that I'm holding on to that give me a sense of peace and safety and security? Are there things other than the Lord that I'm looking to in the storms of life? And if there are, it's your opportunity now. Just pray and allow the Lord to search this out in your heart. Ask yourself, take it before the Lord and say, Lord, show me. If you're not sure, Lord, show me. Show me if there's things in this world that I'm still hanging on to, or maybe you're here and you know for absolute sure today that there are things that you're looking to 
above and beyond Jesus Christ. And you need to say, Lord, I need help to just cut these lines, to send that lifeboat out, to throw the grain overboard, to be able to just say, hey, I'm going I'm to rest in you, Lord. I'm going to trust in you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, which you exalt above your own name, which you've given us, Lord, to teach us. Father, we thank you that you lead and guide us. And you've given us all things that we need, Lord, that pertain to life and godliness. That it's there. There's nothing in this world, Lord, that we need. There's nothing. You provide it all. You take care of us, Lord, to those who are surrendered to you who believe in you, who follow you, who serve you. And so, Lord, may that be each and every one of us here this morning, I pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I love you and I believe in you and I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, that he died for me, for my sins, that he took my punishment upon himself, paid the price for me, that when he was resurrected from the dead, he overcame death, and because of that and my belief in him, I can have eternity in heaven with you. Just believe that. Just declare that to the Lord today. Talk to Him. But for all of us, let's also allow the Lord to search our hearts that we could do, that we could take communion this morning in a worthy manner. Bring Him glory and bring Him honor. And let's again just, my goodness, if there's anything that's just keeping us anchored to, to the world, let's let the Lord deal with that here today. Father, we love you. Bless this time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.